Memorial Day was first uh, proclaimed by General John Logan on May 5, 1868, and was first observed later that month on the 30th of May, 1868, at Arlington National Cemetery. On that day, flowers and wreaths were placed on the graves of both Confederate and Union soldiers. Since that first Memorial Day, over the last 144 years, it's tradition that flowers have been laid on the graves of soldiers who have served our country and on the graves of loved ones as a way to honor them and to remember their lives and influence upon us. Now, every human being has a legacy. And all of us have a record of, of, of accomplishments, of a particular pattern or attitude, or personality, a history of experiences and relationships. That's what a, a legacy is. It's what we are known for, and it is what is remembered about us. And since Memorial Day is tomorrow, this morning is an appropriate time for us to consider the legacy that each one of us is building, <laughs> excuse me, building, and in the light of Scripture, evaluate whether the legacy that we are leaving behind is one that will inspire others, and more importantly, one that will honor God. So to do that this morning, we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of the passage that was just read by Aaron and look at what God wants us to do to build a a legacy that honors him. Let's bow in prayer first, though. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for um, your word. Your word tells us uh, that uh, uh, it's useful for teaching, correcting and rebuking and for training us in righteousness. So, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit, uh, which is given by your Son, Jesus, to us who profess faith in him, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring your word to bear in our lives, uh, to grow us and to shape us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. There is a story about two brothers who left quite a legacy. The two brothers had terrorized a small town for decades. They were unfaithful to their wives, they were abusive to their children, they were dishonest in business. And then unexpectedly, the younger brother died. The surviving brother went to the pastor of the local church. I want you to conduct my brother's funeral service, he said, but it's important to me that at some point during the service, you tell everyone that my brother was a saint. He was far from that, the minister countered. The wealthy brother pulled out his checkbook. Reverend, I'm prepared to give $100,000 to your church. All I'm asking is that you publicly state that my brother was a saint. Well, the day of the funeral came and the pastor stood up to speak and began his eulogy this way. Everyone here knows that the deceased was a wicked man, a womanizer, and a drunk. He terrorized his employees and cheated on his taxes. And he paused. But as evil and as sinful as this man was, compared to his older brother, he was a saint. Quite a a family legacy to leave behind. One brother was bad, but in light of the other one's life, he was a saint. Unfortunately, that's how many of us think about our legacies. We think in matters of, of comparison. How does my legacy compare to my mother or father? How does my legacy compare to my brother or sister, my best friend? How does my legacy compare to my neighbor or the average Joe? But our goal for our legacy, Scripture tells us, should not be, I want to be known as better than average. There has to be, must be more to leaving a legacy 
than that. So let's take a look now at 1 Thessalonians 1, the first 10 verses in light of of that question of what does a God-honoring legacy look like? So let's set the context. The the city of Thessalonica was found in what is now present-day Greece. It was a city of about 200,000 people, which was quite large for the day, and it was set on a major international highway in the Roman Empire. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we see their names mentioned in verse 1, had spent some time there telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and people had responded. Many people had come to Christ, and because of their commitment to Christ, a church had been established and founded. However, as often happened on their missionary journeys, when they would come in and people would come to Christ, their their lives would change. And they begin to relate to people differently. They would begin to uh, relate to people differently in business or, or in their families or their neighbors. And because of those differences, people would take notice of that. And, and often there were problems because of that. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy were forced out of town because of people who were upset by the changes they saw in the people of the Thessalonian Christians. Now, Paul, of course, would be concerned. He had helped plant this young, uh, young still-developing church and had to leave before it was fully established. And so he's concerned that it may not survive in this hostile, uh, anti-Christian environment. He tries to return several times, but the Scripture tells us he was stopped from doing so. So in, in lieu of his presence, he writes a letter to encourage them and also to answer some questions that he's found out that they have. And that's where we pick it up. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work, produced by faith, your labor, prompted by love, and your endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, part of the legacy that I, I hope to leave behind is, is my children. My, I desperately want for my three kids to grow up to be followers of Jesus Christ, who are humble, who love the truth, who stand for what's right, who are, who are, peace, who are full of peace and joy, who are honest and pure, who are devoted followers to Jesus Christ in all things. I, I want that for myself and my legacy, but I want that for them. And, and Paul wants the same sort of dynamic for his spiritual children, the believers in Thessalonica. And in these 10 verses, Paul tells us that the, the Thessalonians are in fact beginning to build a godly legacy, as we'll see in just a minute. And, and in, in our pursuit of building a godly legacy, we can learn from them and their example, and we can learn from Paul's words to them. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you could, just to take out your worship guide. On the back of it, there, there should be a little bit of space. I'm going to encourage you to grab a pencil, and we're going to, um, I want you to write out the word legacy like an acrostic. And we're going to use the word legacy and draw out six aspects of a God-honoring, God-pleasing legacy. And you're going to have to pay attention because I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm not going to follow through L-E-G-A-C-Y. I'm going to jump around a little bit and focus on different letters of legacy uh, in a way that uh, they probably would more naturally develop in the life of an individual, of a person. So first, let's look at the letter C. This stands for Confidence in Christ. Verse 2 says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. What is faith? It's confidence in Christ. We saw just a couple weeks ago in our, as we were continuing our sermon series in Hebrews, out of chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for 
And faith is being certain of what we do not see. It's, it's that type of confidence, that type of certainty that is the beginning of building and, and leaving a legacy of faith. But this confidence is more than just a, an attitude or state of mind. The phrase we stopped at in verse 3 says, your work produced by faith. In other words, your work produced by your confidence, your trust, your belief in Jesus Christ. Now, all of us in our life want the things that we do, the work that we do in our lives to, to matter, to make a difference, to be remembered after we leave. But sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we wonder if the, the things we do, the work we do on a daily basis, uh, the good things that we do, really make a difference and will be remembered after we're gone. I mean, there are a lot of good things done, a lot of good deeds done, many great things done that, that don't seem to have much lasting impact and are forgotten almost as quickly as they are done. The Bible tells us that the only work that will last, that will leave a lasting legacy, is the work that is done in our lives by faith in Jesus Christ. You got your hand, Bible still handy with you. Keep your finger in First Thessalonians three and turn back a couple books to First Corinthians, chapter three. And in this passage, again, Paul is writing this time to a different church, the church in Corinth. But in this passage, he writes about the permanency of the work done in this life. In particular, he's talking about the work done by ministers. But I think we can extrapolate the principle to our lives and work too. Verse ten of chapter three. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Um, yesterday, um, three of my wife's brothers and I uh, spent the whole day building some things in, the, in our backyard. Uh, they, they came down from Minnesota, and they're quite handy, and they brought down some tools, and we put up a pergola over the patio, and we put up an arbor by our roses, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of good work. And I'm quite confident that it'll last a long time because one is they really know what they're doing. They, they know what they're doing. But it was a good foundation. We really spent most of the time laying the foundation before we actually began to put the, the timber in place and, and connect the pieces of wood and, and finish things out. We'll be able to tell in a few years if, in fact, my confidence is well-placed because if it's there 15, 20, 30 years from now, we'll know it's, it was done well. If, however, at the first strong wind or or whatever, it blows over, we'll know the foundation was not set on the right thing, on the right place. The same is true, Paul tells us, in our lives. It's best to build upon the foundation of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and our work should be produced and done out of faith in Jesus Christ. That is, the, that is the work that will last. That is the work that will persevere, that will be left behind when we leave. So the first uh, acrostic, first letter is leave a legacy of faith is to have confidence in Jesus Christ. We're going to jump now to the letter L in legacy. Again, as a parent, I'm learning a lot about human nature, both mine and, and that of my kids. 
And as a parent, I can sometimes get my kids to do things that they don't want to do. Maybe some of you parents have had the same experience. They may not want to pick things up. They may not want to um, maybe be nice to their brother or sister when they're having a bad day. Um, they may not want to share or, or pitch in and participate. But typically, I can get them to do something. Um, and I feel a little bit of satisfaction in that. However, nothing warms my heart more. Nothing makes me feel better about who they are than without being asked, without being told, without being threatened with consequence. They do something. For me, for, for, for the family, for their brother or sister. It's the same result, but it's a much, much different motive. The letter L in Legacy stands for a loving labor. And nothing warms God's heart more than when His children do something for Him with the motive solely of love, love for Him and love for others. Paul affirms this in Thessalonians in verse 3 when he speaks of their labor which is prompted or motivated by love. I mean, think about from this from this angle. Wives, when your husband finishes that project that's been on that list for a long time, doesn't it make a world of difference if it's motivated by love for you or by guilt or by obligation? Dads, don't you think it makes a difference to your kids if you're playing catch with them because they're pestering you and you want to get them off your back or because you want to spend time with them? What sort of labor do you think most pleases God? Labor done with uh, an I'm supposed to do this attitude or labor done with a I'm so grateful to God, I love you attitude. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that if we do great things, if we have fantastic accomplishments and abilities and achieve much, but we don't have love, we really haven't done anything. Love is to be our motivation in leaving a legacy. Labor prompted by love is the only properly motivated work. And it's not just about feelings. It's about a choice, uh, an action, an, a, a perspective, a way that we, 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 pers- we worship God and honor Him, motivated by love. The next letter in Legacy we're going to look at is E. There's a, uh, a thought-provoking movie called Jacob the Liar. Maybe some of you have seen it. It came out about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And Robin Williams stars in it. And he, he's, he's the lead character called Jacob. And the story is set in a, in a ghetto uh, in, in, in Poland. And it's occupied by the Nazis. And Nazi trains have taken most of these, the Jews from the ghetto to concentration camps. And the ones left behind are the ones that are too weak or too old or too sick, too depressed, just too unuseful. And, 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 the, and the mood in the, in the ghetto is, just, is very dark and stark. Families have been shattered. Loved ones have been murdered. Suicides are commonplace. And the movie, through a strange twist of events, while standing in a German army office, the character that Robin Williams plays, Jacob, hears a, a radio report. And it says that the, the Russians are pushing the Germans back, that they're actually advancing into Poland. And it's great news, and he shares it with a friend of his who is about to attack a German guard in what amounts to a suicide. And the man changes his mind because of the good news. And the, and the news begins to spread throughout the ghetto. And people begin to assume that Jacob has a radio. Otherwise, how would he have known this? And they begin to press him for more details. What's the latest on the radio? What's the latest news? And he sees the difference that the good news has upon people, and he begins to fabricate news reports. He begins to lie about Russian victories and 
and Nazi defeats. And it makes a difference in the ghetto. A man proposes to his girlfriend, something he would not have done a couple days earlier. Men begin to talk of resistance, of taking up arms, and the run of suicide stops. Sometimes, Jacob says to himself, as he justifies the rumors that he's spreading, sometimes it's better, it's better to be hungry for hope than hungry for bread. The letter E stands for enduring hope. Enduring hope in Jesus. Look again at verse 3. It says, Their endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 says that we are to run with perseverance the race set before us. 1 Peter 1, 13 says we are to set our hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, we can hope for a lot of things in life. We can hope that our business will flourish after we're gone. We can hope that our children will grow up to be all-American type kids with all-American type families. We can hope that we'll have a long and healthy life. All good things to hope for, but none of them we can be sure about. There will come a time in our life, maybe some of you are there today, when we will desperately need hope. When we'll have a, a deep hunger for hope. Whether it's sickness, loved ones in trouble, financial problems, spiritual doubts, whatever it might be, we will need hope. And the only sure hope, the scripture tells us, is found in Jesus Christ. We are to persevere to, as, as Eugene Peterson puts it, pursue a long obedience in the same direction. That comes through a hope, an enduring hope in Jesus Christ. Next we come to the G in legacy. William Woodfin, who is a Christian author, says this, The proof of Christianity is not a book but a life. The power of Christianity is not a creed but a Christian character. And wherever you see life that has been transformed by the grace of God, you see a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Or as Jesus put it in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before all that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The G stands for genuine transformation. It says this in verses 6 through 9. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message ran out from you, rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was a difference in their lives, and people saw it. People were talking about it, not just in, in Macedonia and Achaia, in their little corner of the world, but in much of the known world, wherever Paul and Timothy and Silas went. They heard about the changed lives, the transformation that had happened in Thessalonica when Jesus got a hold of people's lives. You know, there's no better witness than a changed life. There is no better legacy than that of a, a life genuinely transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus, to live so that others see and notice a difference, and then tell others how we made a 180 degree turn in our lives, there's no more powerful legacy to leave behind. We can talk till we're blue in the face about how much we love Jesus. But if there isn't a radical difference, a noticeable change in our lives, a transformation before and after Christ. 
then our legacy is not what it could be. Far too often as Christians, our lives contradict rather than support and verify that they have been changed by an encounter with Jesus. So the G in legacy stands for genuinely transformed lives. The next letter we're looking at is the letter A. And um, I'm going to start this one with a, a quote from Madonna. Pop singer Madonna said uh, once that she had spent half of her childhood growing up waiting for the two most important male figures in her life to return. Her dad, who left her when she was a young child, and Jesus Christ. She said she got tired of waiting and realized that neither one of them was coming back. Contrast that attitude to that of Queen Elizabeth I of England, who said, I wish I could be alive when Christ returns because I would like to be the first earthly monarch to take my crown and lay it at his feet. Letter A stands for assurance of Christ's return. We are to live our lives in anticipation of Christ's return. Jesus is returning. It's not a possibility. It's not a mere plausibility. It's a certainty. He is returning, and we are to structure and, and order our lives accordingly. We, we don't know how much time we have left, but we are therefore to treasure the time we do have and to look longingly and confidently for his return. We are to invest in the things that are important to him and lose the, our focus on the things that are not important to him. This was obviously a major emphasis in the Thessalonian church. We see this in verse 10, but also throughout much of the next three chapters. We are to be defined and remembered by what we base our life upon and what we yearn for. And Paul encourages the Thessalonian believers, as he does us, not to focus on earthly treasures, but to focus on what is permanent, because Jesus Christ will return, and we will have to give an account for our lives. Finally, we come to the, the why in legacy. And this is a little bit of a stretch, but it stands for your joy. Look at verse 6 again. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You know, the trademark of a Christian is to be love, but also joy. If, as we say we do, we have received the gift of eternal life, if we have received through the Jesus' death on the cross, we have received forgiveness of sins. If we, can be, if we are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, then we have the greatest news of all, and our lives should be marked by joy. In my, in my office library, I have a classic book called Fox's uh, Book of Martyrs. It's an amazing compilation of, of stories of the martyrs of the early church. And in account after account, the martyrs show incredible peace and joy in the midst of terrible circumstances as they're facing uh, death by burning at the stake or drowning or being run through by a sword or being devoured by lions. In the midst of those circumstances, in account after account, their lives were marked by joy and people responded and came to faith because of the difference they saw in them. You know, when saints are cho chosen in the church, one of the criteria is that that person must have been a person whose life was known for their joy. It's the capstone of a God-pleasing legacy, true joy, regardless of what's going on around us. So there we have it, L-E-G-A-C-Y. 
what kind of legacy will we leave? Tomorrow as we go to the cemetery and lay, lay flowers or wreaths on the gravestones of loved ones and soldiers, perhaps as we pull out photos and look back at the loved ones who've gone before us, as we, as we do so, we should be thinking about our own legacy. And our legacy can be gauged, I believe, um, by how we're doing, by asking ourselves a simple question. If the health of First Covenant Church's witness in Salina depended upon you and the legacy that you leave behind, would our church's witness thrive or struggle? We have one chance at this life. A single opportunity to build something that will last for eternity. We will leave behind one legacy. The question Paul asked us this morning is, what will that legacy be? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we first want to thank you for the legacy that Jesus Christ left behind for us. He did not consider his own needs, um, but laid down his life for others. He gave up his will in the garden and chose your will and followed it to the cross. We thank you that all this was motivated by love for you, and love for us. Lord, help us to be people who build a legacy and leave one behind that is marked by a genuinely transformed life. Different values, different perspective, different use of our resources, different relationships. May our lives be marked by joy, the joy that comes from you, not from the circumstances around us. May we produce work and do work that is founded upon a confidence and a hope and a love in you. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is coming again as well, and we pray that our lives would reflect that fact, that belief. We thank you, Father. We humble ourselves before you this morning. We surrender ourselves to you we worship you. Help us, O oh God, to become the people you are calling us to be and to live our lives in a way that, that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.